Hello, I'm Matt Peterson. And I'm Rich Trapier. And this is episode 13 of History on the Table. Okay, uh, we're back. Rich and I are both here. Got a lot of good feedback of bringing Rich onto the show, and I had a really good time last time, so I think this is something we're going to stick with and keep it going, which means longer episodes, but same frequency, I think. Yeah, I've heard people complain. I don't know why you would, but I've heard people complain that podcast episodes are too long, and I never really understood that. I mean, it can be paused at any time, so I've got some You're podcasts that... To get a- Listen. It caused me to get a soapbox out. It's, it drives me nuts when people it's like, just pause. Yeah. Yeah. They'll, they'll come back on. It'll it'll yeah. re- even remember where you were. So how you been? I've been pretty good. Um, you know, it's uh, work has been really busy lately, but it, it's it's good things that I've been planning for and trying to get going for a while. So it's nice to see some of that starting to come to fruition. Um, you know, I'm ready for winter to be over. But other than that, things are good. Good. Glad to hear it. Yeah, we're going into that busy season, but also then I'm creating more work for myself than I need right now because I'm I'm like overloading on RPGs, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. And then I've been trying to cram in ASL ahead of March Madness, which is going to be... Yeah, that's coming up real if, soon. I don't know if our next episode will... That's always St. Patty's Day, right? Before. So I don't know when St. Patty's Day this is, is this year. Tuesday the I think it's 17th. the weekend after. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's the weekend after. Okay. Um, so March Madness is the Kansas City ASL group annual ASL tournament. They do a scenario pack each year, a t-shirt. It's actually a really great event. It was the first ASL thing I ever went to. Um, the only ASL I did before was on Vassal. I showed up and they were a great group of guys, really welcoming. So it's a tournament. They have a starter kit tournament and then they do a bunch of smaller tournaments once, uh, once you're basically out of the main running. So you can still have fun over the weekend. And that's going to be March 20th, 21st, and 22nd here in Kansas City. So I'm trying to get ready just so I'm not a complete drag <laughs> on the game because there's still a lot of stuff that I don't yeah. I don't know. Do some of the heavy hitters of ASL show up like people that every ASL player knows about? Um, you know, uh, one time I listened to when I first got into ASL I was listening to two half squads and I can't tell you who they were interviewing, but it was some guy that's always at Aslock and he's got a really uh, unique voice not not in a bad way or anything it's just when you hear that voice you know it belongs to that guy and he was there because i heard his voice i was like holy shit i just heard this guy <laughs> and they they made him out to be i can't tell you his name i mean being well known in asl is like i don't know being well known and right right yeah right yeah it was funny though because i went to at the stl asl tournament a couple years ago um the first game is not scheduled or anything you just kind of show up and you pick someone and you play and you know, a real nice guy came over. He's like, hey, let's play, blah, blah, blah. We played a scenario, and he just completely wiped me out. But I'm <laughs> used to that. And then I was talking to another guy there. and like, well, you know who that was, right? And he goes, look at the back of your T-shirt. And he's been champion like six times. So <laughs> I'm like, right. okay, well, I feel a little better now. One of the, the, guy, the guy that taught me PTO is named Scott. Super nice guy, super helpful. I had no idea. We were talking this weekend, and he, uh, we were talking about another player that was playing fleet with me, and we'll get into all this later, but he's like, oh, yeah, I'm 6-0 and against uh, Kevin. I was like, oh, dang, yeah, so you're pretty good. He's like, well, I've gotten first, second, third in the tournament. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, yeah, they have a pretty good turnout. I think, like, maybe – I don't know. See, I didn't go on the main day, and I think if people 
Like, people don't stay the whole weekend. So when I went on Saturday, there were still probably, I don't know, 30 people there. Oh, that's bigger than the St. Louis one, then. The St. Louis one's usually, I think it's around 20 or so. Yeah, we'll see how. So we've had pretty good signups for the deal in June. Um, and I've gotten some names I recognize from the ASL community, which is pretty cool. But, yeah, we'll see. I don't know, like, what's normal for an ASL tournament turnout at all. So, but we'll find cool. out. Yeah, so I've been I've been prepping a bunch of ASL stuff and then yeah, just trying to cram in as many war games as I can and really I feel like I haven't even played that much, but we will get to that. <laughs> uh any other updates or news before we dive into new shit we got? No, let's go. Let's do it. All right. Uh yeah, let's start with you. So, what's new on the shelf? Uh new on the shelf for me, I bought GB, Great Battles of the American Civil War, Death Valley, uh, Battles for the Shenandoah, for a couple reasons. First of all, uh, one of the guys in our local gaming group said that he wanted to play, um, and then I found out that he's not going to be there next month, so I think we're probably going to play in two months, but that's fine. It's a system I've been looking to get into. I've got uh, Into the Woods, which is the Battle of Shiloh, pre-ordered, uh, you know, P500. Uh, so, I figure this will give me a chance to learn the system a little better before I jump into that. But Battles of Shenandoah, it's a really interesting series of battles. And this one in particular covers sort of some of the earlier battles in 1862 and also some of the later battles in 1864, which I think is kind of cool. It's kind of like if you play World War II Eastern Front, there's really two time periods. There's when the Germans are advancing and then when the Russians are advancing. So a couple different time periods in the same battle. So. I'm looking forward to playing that one. I haven't even opened it up and punched it yet, but I have looked over the rules a little bit. Yeah, so I bought this after it came out shortly after. Yeah. There is a ton of stuff in here. Oh, yeah. So I've bought a few of the Great Battles games, but I haven't played them yet. It's something I'd love to try. But Death Valley in particular, I wasn't I wasn't going to order it because I had two of them. Um, Twin Mountains. Is that, is that one of them? And uh, then... Yes, it's. I don't think Twin, that's the name, but it's something very much like that. I can't. I want to say Twin exactly. Peaks, but that's the restaurant with yeah. the ladies, <laughs> or or the outstanding TV show. Uh, no. So, anyways, I bought Death Valley because of all the there is a ton of stuff in that box, and that is a thick box, and there is, I don't know, like eight or nine scenarios or something. I don't know. Yeah, there's full a lot battles, in there. not just scenarios. There's eight or nine battles. Sorry, did I lose you? No, I'm there. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I was trying to look up, uh, so, yeah, Twin Peaks. Yeah, what is the name of that one? I know there's one called Battle Above the Clouds, but that's probably not the one you're talking about. Battle Above the Clouds is um, that's, uh, GCACW. Like Chattanooga. Oh, that's, that's GCACW. Okay, cool. Yep. Got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which I would love to get a copy of that game, because um, yeah. that'd be cool. Yeah, so, yeah, that's that's really the only game I've picked up lately. Um, oh, and I picked up Pericles, too. Uh, we'll talk about that later, but I did pick that one up, um, playing that with a couple friends. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, I don't know. If we ever get a chance, we should play that or dive into that system. There are a million things I want to try, including the one thing I really want to talk about. I was going to talk about it later when we talk about kind of our most anticipated things, but it's already here, and that's Wings of the Motherland. So last year, at the end of the year, I bought a copy of Speed of Heat, and I think I talked about it, but this is a air combat game. It's a series of games from J.D. Webster. Clash of Arms makes it, and there's basically two series, and really they're the same game. It's just one's Jets, and one is you know World War II. What, it ba- what the division actually is is it's Korea, post-Korea, and then pre-Korea, or Korea forward and then pre-Korea. Okay. So it's the Fighting Wings and the Air Power series. There's probably, 
I don't know, nine or ten games. One, I really like the maps. And then, <clears throat> now I, I don't know how fast this game plays. There's not a ton of counters, but... So there in this are, game, is a, is a counter a single plane? Yes. Okay. There's there's only 280 aircraft counters. Okay. Okay. There is a scenario booklet that's 120 pages long. There are like over 200 scenarios. Wow. Yeah. So, so like now there's there's a there's a whole bunch of the games in this series. You said there's basically pre-Korea and post-Korea. But is mm-hmm. it does it go all the way from World War II to modern, or is it just a couple different time periods and different, you know, different? Is it Eastern Front, Western Front, Italian over the Med? I don't know, whatever. So I really only know about three games, and I think there's one like there's one called Air Power, which might either be like '80s or modern. I, d- I don't know. I'm talking on my ass there. The three I know about are Speed of Heat, which is Vietnam. Okay. There is Whistling Death, which is the greatest title is, of a game ever. Right, right. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that's Pacific World War II. Oh, so okay. like carrier based. I'm, I'm almost certain. And then this most recent one is 1941 to 45 Russia. Okay. Yes, I knew. I knew Wings of the Motherland was Eastern Front. So yeah. And and when I say there's over 200 scenarios, so like if I just pick a uh, pick a page here and look at a scenario one of them is just six aircraft and then a few panther tanks and some infantry on the ground okay so what's the scenario like is it you get some ground targets you got to send in three fighters and three bombers and destroy them what's it like so you get points for basically what you take out so whatever you eliminate and then in this particular one it's called action over austria it's set in april 1945 the Germans get bonus points if they're able to damage the Russian IL-2s. Okay. So I think it's just you try to eliminate whatever you can. And maybe there's some... There may be some more... Some other scenarios with more advanced rules. What's kind of interesting is there's a big chunk of scenarios that are just air combat. And those go from like one to one hundred fifty, and then sprinkled in in the beginning, there's like, um, there are training scenarios for a few pages, and then you have ship attack, ground attack scenarios, mission scenarios. Don't know what those are, and then rules to make your own scenarios. So there's a ton of stuff in here. I mean, there's what I say that was like a hundred sixty page, hundred forty page scenario booklet. Then there's the massive rules booklet, some pretty nice maps, and then really not that many counters. So Okay. So what's a dogfight feel like on that game? Oh, no idea. Okay. <laughs> no idea. I I went in, basically there was a thread a few months ago, and that sent me down a rabbit hole. And then I went to go get a copy of Whistling Death. Because, and we've talked about this. I had this interest. I piqued an interest in air and naval games after reading that admiral's book right yeah and so that sent me down the rabbit hole of finding like pacific world war ii air and naval games and i stumbled upon whistling death saw that was tied to the speed of heat and air power games that other people were talking about went to go buy a copy of whistling death and it wasn't available so i bought 
Speed of Heat, and here I am. And Wings of so Motherland pro- is, is a recent game, like in the last few months, right? Oh, yeah, I think it just like came out this month. That's what, Okay. Because it wasn't going to be my most anticipated of 2020, but it's already here. Okay. <laughs> and so it's available from Clash Farms, and I think AGR sales should end up with a copy of it. We've talked about them. Um, they're not a sponsor by any means. They don't give us free shit in any way whatsoever. AGR sales, a gray rooster sales is just a guy that I like buying from when cool stuff from miniature market or my friendly local game store doesn't have stuff in stock. And so usually he carries the clash of arms stuff for good prices. Cool. And super great shipping. Anyways, that's, that's really the only thing I've, yeah, I've been prepping to play speed of heat in April is the plan at your so Kansas City game day? Uh, no, actually at Donkey uh, Donkey Kong. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have a lot to talk about that week. Yes, <laughs> yes, we will because we'll both be there. Yeah, we'll both be playing great campaigns in the American Civil War. That's right. I'm I'm yeah. not sure how that's going to work, but we'll I'm sure we'll figure it oh, out before yeah. then. <laughs> yes, yes, we will. The the other thing I, I I take this back. So I've been doing a whole bunch of RPG stuff lately. And when the Kickstarter for the Yellow King launched, one, I wasn't really into RPGs. Is the Yellow King Cthulhu? Yellow King is Cthulhu. It's based off of a book called The King in Yellow by Chandler? Is that right? Okay. Robert Chambers. Okay. Um, And so it's post... I think Chambers followed... Lovecraft, but don't hold me to that. So it's based off a book. It's by Robin Laws. Um, and it's this kind of weird, like all these characters. What's all right. So no interest when it first came out, but then of course there I am in the friendly local game store and I start looking at this thing and it is a nice set. So it's four books and there's four different paths that you basically go down set in different time periods in this whole horror of this book or play or whatever it is the story of the king in yellow drives your characters mad anyways really excited for it really nice production it's from pelgrani press they do the like trail of cthulhu Mm -hmm. they do the gumshoe system that's what they're kind of known for really nice production though yeah i started playing uh masks of nyarlathep uh, a couple years ago yeah yeah okay and the group just kind of broke up before we got too far into it we we basically finished New York and then we never came back to it. So um, it was really good. I was really into it and I loved the mystery aspect of it. But sounds like this, the Yellow King is of similar size and scope. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know if it's supposed to be played with the same characters throughout. So you start out in the, so it's not time travel. It's just in different times. Okay. So the first one is Paris, and it's about the Yellow King play, and you're playing American art students, and then all this weird shit happens. The next story is like an alternate history, 1947, and then sometime after that in the same setting, and then the final one is like today as we know it, so no alternate history. And I don't know if you're supposed to play with the same group over four stories or not, I'm still so I'm I've started to read it because it's something I'm interested in running, and then I've also started reading what it's based on, which is a nice transition into our books on the shelf, because um, it's based off a book called King in Yellow by Robert Chambers. Okay, 
but anyways, really nice production. But I had no interest in it. Of course, there I am in the friendly local game store, and it just looked way too nice. And it is. It's really cool. And I, I think it's based off the gumshoe system, which I've ran and I really enjoyed. So you failed your sanity check and you bought it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm weak like that. Uh, so yeah, let's 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 use that to springboard into our books. I already mentioned King in Yellow. It's it's a collection of short stories, and the only reason I'm really talking about it is because I wanted to talk about this really nice RPG set that I'm looking forward to. Uh, it's kind of weird because the first one is I had I had no idea. So I have a little bit of knowledge of uh, what's his name Lovecraft, yeah. but only through things like the Arkham Horror card game. Have you played that? Um, a little bit. I, I played it a little bit and didn't really get into it. And yeah, okay. it's still sitting on my shelf. So they all have the, all the fantasy flight Lovecraft games have that right. same kind of setting. It, it, to me, it appears to be our world as we know it set in that time period, just with Cthulhu yeah. stuff going on. Yeah. Twenties right? is really popular time to do those. I guess that's because right. uh, Lovecraft was writing. So. Yeah, I think a lot of the source material is yeah. set then, right? So what's interesting about this book, the first story I read is like a po- alternate history post-World War One. Okay. And then it's just like, it, it was just interesting enough to bring up because like the United States still has mounted cavalry, like almost like Dragoon <laughs> groups from like the Revolutionary yeah. War and things like that. And then like there's mass suicide centers that are like welcomed and approved by the public. It was really huh. weird. It's it's odd writing. I mean, because it was written in the 20s or 30s, I think. And I just went in like, oh, I'm going to read a Cthulhu story. This is just going to be another Lovecraft story. And it was like, what is, you know, so, all this? Let, I don't know what side won World War One or what's going on. It was pretty good, though. Let me ask you this, though. How much uh, Lovecraft have you read and what do you think of it? None, none. Oh, none at all. Okay. But all I've my read, love, I've read a couple Lovecraft stories, and I just kind of always thought they're okay. I mean, they do an interesting job of sort of creating that setting, and I can see why so many games come out of it. But the stories themselves are just kind of odd. I, I, I've only read a couple. I think I've read, I read Call of Cthulhu, and I read, I don't know what the name of the other one was, but they're both short stories, and I just both thought they're eh, just kind of okay. I wasn't that crazy about them. I don't think you're the first person to tell me that. Yeah. I think I think the reason it's so popular is cuz it's in the public domain and it's a pretty interesting story. Right, right. All of all of my knowledge of on that is based off of what I've seen from fantasy. Yeah. Light. So, on topic things real quick, I'll mention The Collapsing Empire by John Scalzi. So, I don't know if you've read any John Scalzi. He's a sci-fi author. He wrote like Old Man's War. No, Lock-in. I haven't. I don't know anything about this book, so tell me. Oh yeah, well it's so I went into it hoping for like sci-fi space battles, and this was a lot more like manipulation with corporations and a church and emperor, and it was pretty good though. Like it was really approachable. Read it really quick. It was a little bit funny. I think that's how kind of all his all his writing is done. If if it gives you any indication of like the tone of the book, Will Wheaton narrates almost all of his audiobooks. Oh, okay, so. Cool. It's not bad. I went in with the wrong impression, though, because his other series is called Old Man's War. And that's kind of like if you go look up sci-fi series, that seems to be one that's recommended a fair amount. And I'm pretty sure it shows a spaceship, so I'm assuming there's space combat. Anyways, I picked this up expecting space combat. There's no space combat. But it was still enjoyable. 
Yeah, I'm actually not reading any. I'm only reading uh, <laughs> historical stuff right now. Usually, I I try to get like one historical thing and one you know fantasy or whatever going at the time, but I've really just been on a historical kick right now. So, yeah. So let's talk about that because I am not done with, but I think you finished because I think I saw it on Twitter. I am probably about a third of the way through We Were Soldiers Once and Young by Hal Moore and Joseph Galloway. Okay. Do you want me to tell you what I think first, or do you, or do you want to say Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, okay. so far it's great. So, I'm about a third of the way through, yeah. and it's, it's fantastic. So it's an odd book. Um, it's written from the perspective of a guy, and it's not just one guy, because it's written from the perspective of multiple people that don't know what the hell is going on around them, which, which can make it an odd book to read sometimes, because... It, it often comes across as, you know, we got dropped into this place and all of a sudden all hell is breaking loose and these guys were lost and we're hearing radio calls and my friend just got his head blown off. And it really is that hectic often, um, which is kind of crazy. It's a, it's a weird way to read a book, I thought. Um, but it's good. It's not bad. It's just different. Um, I do think it's interesting. They don't talk a whole lot about the sort of the overall strategy in the big picture. They do a little, and often when they do, they talk about it from the Vietnamese point of view, which I thought was Absolutely. interesting too. Yep, I agree 100%. Yeah. Yep. And then, I mean, I don't think it's a spoiler or anything, just to tell you, you say you saw it on Twitter. The, at the end, they kind of go back and they talk about the reactions of the people in the U.S. that lost people there. Um, and, oh, I mean, it's just heartbreaking. It's just absolutely brutal hearing some of these far sure. people talk about their loved ones, so... Uh, for people that don't know the book, or it's a movie, also I haven't seen the movie, but um, we're, well, you haven't seen the movie? No, I haven't seen the movie. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna oh, get it cow. sometime. But um, is it good? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I, th- I think so. Yeah. I think for a war it's, movie, it's yeah, Mel I think Gibson, it's really right. Good. Yep. Okay, that's what I thought. I just haven't seen it yet. So, um, but yeah, it's a, it's about Vietnam, 1965, I believe, the Battle of Yau Drang Valley, and we're going to talk about Silver Bayonet later, but. Um, the whole book takes place, I mean, except for the aftermath part, basically in like a week or two, I think. It's and just, is it all LZX, right? Like so far, uh, I mean, they, they, they talk a little Albany bit about too. the... Albany also. Okay, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, Good so it's know. basically basically the Vietnamese, they set a trap. The North Vietnamese and the VC set a trap and they, they ambushed a South Vietnamese patrol or army or column. I can't remember the size of it. Um, and they basically said, well, we know the U.S. is going to come rescue them and we are ready for them, too. And they were hidden in larger numbers than we expected. And when we landed at landing zone X-ray, they were, the U.S. was immediately beset upon um, and just almost overwhelmed. And then there was another landing zone nearby, Albany, that they sort of retreated to. They came in with the B-52s and dropped bombs over everything. And um, the whole thing was just a horrible, horrible battle for both sides. I mean, as far as numbers lost and everything. And I mean, one thing I think is interesting is what came about due to this battle is this is when McNamara decided that, well, we were going to determine whether we win, won or lost a battle based on the body count. So if we killed more of them than they killed of us, then we won the battle. And that's that's kind of what this right. is about. So, so I'm just going to add on a couple things. Again, I'm not done. Uh, one thing I'll say is the audiobook is a little bit hard to follow for the reason you mentioned where you you're telling the story from so many different people. So not only do you have two authors and you switch between right. them frequently, right. but you also switch to this captain or this lieutenant telling their piece of the story and there's no like 
if you go with the audiobook and it's well narrated, it can be a little tricky to follow between when you switch from Hal Moore to Joe Galloway or just this random soldier. Right. And Hal Moore was a soldier. Joe Galloway is a, a, a reporter who right. was there. I mean, they were both there, obviously. And so it's interesting, and they talk about this quite a bit in the book, is the Vietnamese just wanted a fight with the Americans yeah. to see what to expect. Yeah. I mean, just to test them out. Yeah. And so the, the Americans land, and it's, what, one battalion? Is that right? No, no, no. Uh, it, it's... Yeah, it was. It was oh, probably. Shit, shit. A, I wasn't. Was, in, I'm. I'm not in the military. It was probably so a battalion at first, which is would be like three, three or four companies. It was probably about that size at first. Yeah. Okay. And maybe, then the Vietnamese had maybe a few companies, maybe a little less than a battalion, but yeah. Um, and then the Vietnamese had three battalions, right? So they had about sixteen hundred guys, something like that. And I yeah. think the U.S. had a few hundred. Um, yeah, to start, okay. yeah, I would think so. Okay. Yeah, so, and it, it, it is a good, again, about a third, maybe halfway through the book. I thought it was enjoyable. Yeah, uh, it's it's good. I like it. Um, I actually read another book because, um, as, as Mitch and I were playing Silver Bayonet, he said, hey, you should read this one too. Um, he pointed out another book that's listed in the Silver Bayonet, you know, the stuff at the end. Um, and it's called Baptism by Larry Gwynn. And I actually liked that one a lot better. Um, really? Yeah. Have you read that one? No. And before you tell me about that, what I'll just say is I have found that, um, we were soldiers isn't as pro approachable as something like chicken Hawk, which is also recommended as recommended reading in silver bayonet, which we're going to talk about this episode. And that's kind of why we're mm -hmm. spending so much time on this book. And then red platoon, which was one of the best books I read last year. Hmm. I'll have um, to check that out. Cause I haven't read that one. Oh, Red Platoon is fantastic. <laughs> okay, so at the end of the day, it was several battalions of the U.S., but I think it was just the 1st Battalion, 7th Cav. That's right. That's who started. And then it was five battalions. And I'm so I'm looking at Wikipedia real quick. It was about 2,600 Vietnamese, and then at the end of the day, I think it was 1,000 troopers for the U.S., but I know they didn't start with that many. I think they only started with right. a couple hundred. Yeah. Okay, uh, tell me about baptism. So baptism, um, same battle, uh, more or less. Larry Gwynn, he was he was a guy that was over there, um, made his way up to that area. He did some different things in Vietnam first, and he talked. Whereas we were soldiers once, kind of jumps right into the Battle of Yat Uh Larry Gwynn talks about everything he did leading up to there. So he spent some time down in the the Delta, and then eventually moved up to that area. And then he first jumped into it as a part of that relief force at Albany. So, um, but still was <laughs> heavily involved in it as well as some other things as well. Um, there was just little things that he pointed out in baptism that I really liked. Like, like he talked about how long it took to fly from one place to the other. He's like, yeah, so, you know, it, it was going to take us four flights of helicopters and it took 10 minutes per flight to go back and forth. And we knew that when we landed, no one else would be there for 10 more minutes and then 10 more minutes, more people would come and little details like that really sort of dropped me into the situation. And, and even like when you're leaving, you know, everything is secure here, but who knows what is ever really secure. So the helicopters come to pick you up and they're going to pick guys up and pick more guys up. And eventually you're going to be like the last group of guys there. Everyone else is gone and you know, you haven't seen anyone around. You don't know what's going on, but you could be ambushed at any time. So I really liked this book. I like baptism a lot better. 
Good. Well, I'm going to read that. Yeah. Because I think, you know, We Were Soldiers is the easy one to go to because it's got the movie about it. Yeah. And that's exactly why I went to it um, to read in conjunction with playing Silver Bayonet is because I'd seen the movie, which is which is good. It's good for a war movie, right? I mean, I'm always reluctant. I feel like anytime you say a war movie is good, there's going to be some nerd on the internet <laughs> that you know, criticizes it. Because I Actually. really like Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay, and you got one more book, uh, Decision in the West. Yeah, Tell so this one that. is based on this one I picked up because I wanted to read about the Atlanta campaign, which I really don't know much about. Um, I've really been on Civil War kick lately. Um, did I recommend this to you? You did. You did recommend this to me. Okay. I'm not. Yeah, yeah. I haven't read it yet, though. Yeah, I'm not that far into it, but it's really good. Um, but I'm kind of in a Civil War kick lately, but I haven't spent that much time in the South. I mean, I went to school in Nashville, but Atlanta really is just what I drive through on my way to Florida. So, um, I don't know that much about that area and that part of the Civil War, so I wanted to pick up a book to go with the game. Um, and yeah, you did recommend this one to me. And this, I'm sure there are other history books out there like this, but this is the first one I've come across. It is written in the present tense, which I think is really cool. Um, it, it sets oh, a whole different tone for the way you're reading the history. Um, and he even talks in the introduction about why he does that. But basically, he starts in, I think he starts in January 1864. And so far, every chapter has been one month. So he just goes through it month by month. And he does jump around a little bit. You know, he talks about Sherman and Johnson and uh, Jefferson Davis and what all they're doing in their different places and what everybody's thinking at the time. But it's all written in the present tense. And he said the reason he does that is because the actual people there were making decisions based on limited information. And he wanted to convey that everything is happening right now and they didn't have perfect historical information. They had present information that sometimes was wrong and that affected their decisions. So hmm. um, it's it's a whole new way to read history and I really like it. So, Yeah, it's kind of a bold call. Yeah. Um, so I recommended this, again, not because I've read it, but when I... At one point, I went down the rabbit hole, and I have a giant two-read list on Goodreads <laughs> that is probably, without exaggeration, like a third Civil War book. Yeah. And maybe I am exaggerating. Who cares? Um, but this is, I think, the what people recommend is the go-to for Atlanta campaign. Yeah, and it's a labor of love for him. He talks about that in the introduction as it? well. He He's just – he's not – he has written a bunch of other books, um, but it's not like – He's written on every battle and campaign in the Civil War. Um, he just, he really, I think he grew up in this area and he really is sort of in love with this campaign. So, and it shows. Now, ha- have you read Shelby Foote's U.S. Civil War? I have not read that. Um, I actually had it um, at one point and I gave it to a friend who was a Civil War buff. So, no, I haven't read it. It's got its problems, right? Yeah. I mean- <laughs> I think Shelby Foote's commentary on the yeah. Civil War and his personal beliefs are all well documented. Yeah, and you can see that in the uh, the Ken Burns documentary as well. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. And Ken Burns caught flat flack for it yeah. too. <laughs> it still, I think, holds up as if you wanted to go battle by battle. Now you could go read. There's others, right? There's what's his name, Battle Cry of Freedom. Oh yeah, you can and, go read Battle Cry of Freedom. Yes, and that one's and, good too. I'm actually reading that one as well. So yeah. Look at you. Look at you. <laughs> I told you I'm in a Civil um, War kick, man. Yeah, well, once you get going, I, know. I would still read Shelby Foote. If you ever got the chance, and like, so I did the audiobook, that's like hundreds of hours, right? I mean, it's <laughs> probably like 150 hours of 
And it took me the better yeah. part of two years to get through it all, but I'm glad I did. Well, yeah, that's well, that's how I did Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. I had to do that. Oh, I got yeah, that on yeah, audiobook, sure. and it took me a while to get through it, but yeah, I mean, it was worth it. It's it's it's, it's the the book about the Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. So, well, should we talk about some games? Yeah, we should. That's what we're here for, right? <laughs> okay, yeah. So we had. I think we both had our monthly game days. We just had our Kansas City Historical Gaming Group meetup. We had a pretty good turnout. We had Turning Turning Point Stalingrad, which I've heard is a fantastic game. Some of the older guys in our group were really raving about it. The two guys playing it and then one of the guys that played Seventh Fleet, which is what I played, uh, were really talking about how good it was. And then two guys played Nevsky, which I have avoided buying. But the more I hear about that game... I just keep hearing good things, and they both really loved it. Yeah, I'm uh, a I'm a fan of Volko, and I P500 in Nevsky, and for whatever reason, I I mean, I've unlocked, I've taken it out of the shrink and opened it up and looked at it, but I haven't played it yet. And it's not for any negative reason at all, really. It's just because I just kind of haven't gotten to it yet. But I'm I definitely want to play it. Yeah, I I just keep hearing good things. I I think I'll pull the trigger. Yeah, I need some GMT trays, and so that's how I'm justifying <laughs> it. Like, oh, if I add a Nevsky and get a bunch of GMT trays, then I'm pretty close to free shipping. <laughs> um, but I played Seventh Fleet, and Seventh Fleet is the fifth game in a series of games called I think it's just called the Fleet series. That's what I've always called it. Yeah. Uh, so have you played these? No, I haven't. Which that's. I would love to, but again, I mean, those are, they're not commonly available. I mean, you can always find stuff if you want to, but, um, no, I don't, I don't have them. So I haven't played them. I I should back up real quick. Third fleet is the rule. Those are the rules I read was the fifth game. Seventh fleet was like the third or fourth game. Okay. Um, so seventh fleet is set in the, so each of these games are set in the 1980s. It's cold war era. And they're just different parts of the world. So 7th Fleet is what we played, and that is focused in the Pacific o- Ocean, basically from the northern Philippines just to north of Japan. Really great game. I, 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 so this series gets a lot of buzz. If you go listen to the most recent Advance After Combat, I think it appeared in the Fleet series, appeared in two lists yeah. uh, for their top ten of all time. And I get it. Uh, when we first started playing, I... Is this the one that they were talking about? Everybody, like, stood up and cheered just because they found someone? They were, they were at a convention, and they said they all just started, like, screaming because they located the other fleet. You know what? I don't know if that's what they were talking about, but if it was, I get yeah. it. <laughs> um, so, when we started, it was a little bit of a slow burn for me. I was like, all right, well, this is okay. Um, you know, we start pushing some ships around, but the more I kept playing, the more things started to make sense. And this game has layers. I mean, it really does everything from once you start looking at the combat results table, there's one combat results table for every type of combat and it works. Even though you have six or seven different types of combat you can do, it just makes sense. And so it's not, have you played unconditional surrender Europe? Not they yet. do the same thing. Every type of combat uses the same CRT. Strate- strategic, air, whatever. Same. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's interesting here is you could be doing a submarine attack on a carrier, and it, I don't, I don't know how to express this, but it would be really shitty if your combat results table said like inflict a loss. Yeah. 
and you just took a pot shot at a really well defended right, carrier. Right. And so this is built in a way that it's it's hard to get those pot shots on a carrier, but you don't have to do all this crazy calculation and like, okay, we have a submarine equipped with these types of missiles attacking a carrier and a carrier group with a it just works. You take into consideration um, let's say you are doing a torpedo attack. You negate the effectiveness of that attack as the defender with your own anti-submarine warfare. And you're not attacking the defender. You're just basically modifying their die roll. And it just, it's a really, actually really elegant combat system that when you first look at it is confusing as hell. Because the counter has about... 8,000 different pieces of information really? on it. It Well, it has like three in each corner. Like <laughs> there's three numbers or yeah. so in each corner. And you just stare at it and it's like, what the hell? But the, And this was pointed out to me by the guy I was playing with, Rex. It allows you to get through combat with a, let's say you have 10 ships in your carrier group. And you don't have to be like, okay, this cruiser matches up against this carrier that's got this sub with it in this manner. You're not like, you don't have a million, you know, case rules. You got to look up. You have these numbers that once you get them down, it just works and it's really elegant. I was really impressed by it. Yeah. So the, the thing that sort of fascinates me about really any naval game that's, that's on a large scale like that, you know, I'm not talking about like a, a small game where it's ship to ship combat, but is that, and I sort of mentioned this, that sort of trying to find someone um, I was in the Navy, and I was in not as modern as today's Navy, but I was in the Navy in the early 90s, and um, it just, it always amazed me when I was, I mean, I went, I sailed across the Pacific, and just how big the ocean is. I don't think most people have a real concept of how freaking big the ocean is, and especially when you're talking about World War II combat. I know this one is basically 80s, which is around the time I was in. But even then, just finding the other guy, that's the biggest part of it. So that I w- that's what I'm interested in in a game like Seventh Fleet, is how they handle that, that sort of, well, you could call it hidden movement, kind of like we're going to talk about with Silver Bayonet. Well, so the, it, it handles really well. And actually what it allows you to do, um, so real quick, let me go back to the mechanic. We're not going to do like a full review of this game. I'm probably going to save that for okay. next month. But I do want to m- mention a couple things. So the game works is there's six and seventh fleet particularly. There are six activations and we're each going to have three. When you go, Rich, you're going to pick, you can either activate all of your surface units, all of your submarines, or all of your air. And then I would go, and then we roll a die to see you as initiative, and you do that. You do that a few times until we've all we've activated all of those units. And what's interesting is because you don't technically you haven't detected the enemy. We played a massive scenario, and it took us a long time because we had a lot of new people learning, including myself. And explaining the combat took a long time, but the actual movement of units actually never really took that long because movement is super straightforward. And even with a huge stack of ships out on the map or whatever, or a bunch of submarines all over the place, you're not really activating because you haven't detected the enemy. And so you're not going to do anything because one, you don't want to trigger detection. And two, there's nothing really to do because you can't shoot at anything you haven't Mm -hmm. detected. And so a lot of this is like basically the... 
surrounding hexes is a type of detection and then you have a at the start of each turn you have an air strategic phase which is probably the most confusing part of the game until you just do it once once you've done it you've got it um you detect you basically fly missions and escort those missions to go detect ships and it's super important because if you don't basically you do it by area so let's just say we're flying uh, surveillance missions in um like one of the areas was uh the Akox. i'm gonna pick an easier yeah. one to say that like the east china <laughs> sea region right um Okay, so you fly your recon missions. If your recon missions survive, you can attempt to detect subs, but you're much much better off. You can automatically detect surface units. And if you don't have those missions, your turns are going to be real boring because <laughs> it's super important to go detect those ships. Huh. But have you played Blue Water Navy? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. I'd love to hear it. I got home. <laughs> I got home, and my wife and I were watching TV, and I pulled it out and started clipping it. Yeah, okay. Well, maybe at some point we could do a comparison between Fleet and Blue Water Navy. Yeah, well, so here's the th- you're right. So the Fleet games are hard to buy, um, especially I think the later ones like Third Fleet mm-hmm. fetches a pretty penny. I think you can find a little bit of a deal right now because supposedly Compass is coming out with them. So I've, I've seen a few deals pop up on the marketplace, but usually it's the whole bundle. And so people will sell off like five or I think there's five games. For two hundred fifty bucks, which is a lot of money, but it's also only fifty bucks per game. Yeah, and these are complete war games. Like, I know you're playing paying for a. Let's see, what are they? Well, they're thirty three years old or older now, so it's a lot. But really, it's only fifty bucks per game, which isn't that bad. When you think about it that way, so they can be tracked down. But I think a lot of people have them. You don't have to convince me; just convince my wife. Right, right. No, I'm the same way. I've looked at the bundle. <laughs> Someone had one up last week. I was like, oh, shit. Oh man, I don't know if I should. I luckily it was bought before I pulled the trigger. <laughs> Anyways, I super great game. My point was, I think a lot of people have this series, so I think tracking down a game wouldn't be too hard. Cool. And it's not too bad to learn. There's a lot of it's a little bit like just get through it once and understand what the values are and why they're important. That's the hardest part. Like, all right, you're looking at the counter and you get that is the surface to surface missile number, but how does that number play out and how do I effectively use those attacks is the hardest part. It's good though. It's really good. Yeah. Well, I guarantee someone in St. Louis has it. Someone in our wargaming circle, they've got oh, it. Oh, I'm sure. So. So I'm gonna play twice next month. Um, I'm gonna we're gonna revisit, do a smaller scenario at the Kansas City Game Group, and then I've got a Vassal game scheduled. Cool, playing yeah, live. So I assume I, I know you don't like play by email. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, so I spent a lot of time on that. I'm gonna the other things just talk about real quick. Um, fired back up next war in India, Pakistan. Yeah. Excited about that. We got through the first basically pre-turn bombardments, and we're into movement now. And we're kind of doing a blend of live play-by-email, which is fine. I can tolerate that. Basically, we're doing our movements away. So, like, someone will move, and then we'll just be marked with the combat ready to go. We'll hop on live, resolve those, and send them back. So, really excited to be back to that. Supposedly, Rex and I are starting our Axis Empires to Tyler Creek campaign this Sunday. You got to play the full we, war? We all... Well, no, we're just doing... Um, we're just doing, we're excluding the Pacific stuff. Oh, okay. 
but we've been talking about playing this since like the first weekend of January. And I was sick, and then like he slipped on the ice, and then we had shitty weather. Oh, I didn't and just hear all about that. Stuff. I'm slipping. Oh, I think it's completely fine. It's just like okay. <laughs> I, th- I think it was in pain. We have done one vassal turn to kind of learn the basics. Really excited to play. I should probably quit jinxing it because <laughs> we keep doing this. It's been two months and we haven't gotten it. Yeah, but I really supposedly want, we're starting this weekend. I really want to play that one too, uh, partially because I enjoy unconditional surrender Europe so much. And uh, Sal, I I don't know if he's like the lead designer for Axis Empires, but I know he's on the list, and he's the lead designer for Unconditional Surrender Europe. So I'd be curious to see what the similarities and differences are in those games as well. I I'm actually right there with I really want to play Unconditional Surrender. Oh, it's so good someday. Someday, yeah. If, and then if I, I want to try rolling my Flames. top ten games of all time. It's going to be pretty high up. Oh baby! <laughs> so two more things, real quick. RPGs have just been going nuts lately. Um, actually sat down with my wife like I was doing some prep work. We have an RPG session tomorrow night. And then I've got uh, another D&D session on Monday night. So I was prepping D&D is what I was focused on. I was like, do you want to try this? Like I can just come up with something real quick. And basically like I combined kind of the essentials kit and the starter kit and just gave her like um, a companion. Oh, okay, that's cool. And so we just dove in, and it, like actually went really well. Like she got really into it. She liked the combat stuff. She really didn't like the go to town and find out what to do next. <laughs> so I think uh, I think what the plan is after right now she's doing the red brain stuff from the uh, starter kit, and uh, I think I'm just gonna send her and do like a massive dungeon yeah. crawl next time. And I think I'm gonna burn a witch pretty soon, aren't I? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, oh, man, I can't even talk about that one. So we're going to play Witch Hunters. <laughs> Which I know um, nothing about and I don't want to know anything about. Right. And that's all I'm going to leave it there yeah. other than it's it's hard to sell that. So, like, when when I go and make that thread, it's like I really want to tell you guys about Witch Burner, but I can't. <laughs> you just have to trust me. I really think this will be awesome. So, uh, now I know you've played some RPGs. You already mentioned you played yeah. uh, Masks of whatever, mm-hmm. and I you've played some D and D as well, right? Yeah, I played D and D, The One Ring. Uh, I've I've played a bunch. Yeah, quite a few. Every mm-hmm. okay. So we're gonna be using D and D, but it's okay. It's more of a social deal. Oh, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be so good. Awesome. Yeah, that that'll be coming up, and then I've got a whole bunch of other things, but D and D is kind of the an alien. We started our alien campaign, which I'm also really excited about. Cool. We're yeah. Uh, yeah. Last thing is you and I played some ASL, and we're about halfway through. The one thing I did want to mention: we're playing Commando Shinky, which is like Beyond Valor number two. And I picked it because it's got really high ratings on ASL Scenario mm-hmm. Archive, and it's balanced. And what's funny is we started playing, and then like one guy was like, "Oh, that's a great scenario." And then we're standing around talking shit while people are taking their moves in Seventh Fleet, and a few of the ASL guys are there on Saturday. And like, "Oh, Commander Shanky, that's a great scenario yeah. going on and on." And I was like, "Oh, I had no idea." So yeah, I mean, it's it's it looks like a, a pretty straightforward one, which is nice. It doesn't have any vehicles in it. it doesn't have any weird night rolls or any all that stuff. Just just lots of. I mean, you get. A couple heavy machine guns, which is for the Germans amazing because they got really good heavy machine guns. But I get a fortified building, and fortified buildings are a pain in the ass to crack in ASL. So we'll see how it turns out. It's been it's been really nice. So I've been away from. Gosh, I haven't played since 
before the baby. I haven't played ASL since before our baby came. Wow. And it's just so nice to get it's I get why people make that their game mm-hmm. and play it. At some point we really need to sit down and just dedicate an episode to ASL. Yeah, that'd be fun. Man, it, it and it's not that bad. I mean, what look, you're teaching me a lot of things and, and so like I'm I'm mooching off people, but I don't know. Things just make sense. So yeah. it's good. I'm really glad to be going. I've been trying to play as much as I can in advance, advance of March. So, okay. I just went on for a really <laughs> long time about a whole bunch of other stuff. So please tell me what you've been playing. So right now I'm just kind of pushing around solitaire. Uh, Atlanta is ours, which you mentioned earlier. That's great campaigns in the American civil war. It's a, it's an MMP series. Um, and it's, you know, it's what it sounds like. It's, it's the Atlanta campaign. Uh, I haven't played against anyone, but I think I'm going to be rectifying that this Thursday. I think we're going to start playing a, a, a weekly game for the next few weeks. Um, interesting so far. I don't know a whole lot about it. I've just played, you know, the, you know, the interests out the scenarios, the first couple scenarios are always really one-sided designed to be played solitaire because the other guy's just going to get run over anyway. And it doesn't really matter. Um, one thing I think is interesting about the series though, is it's, it's heavily, it almost feels like a, like a push your luck in a way, um, because every time you activate people, you have to fatigue them, and you can only get to like four fatigue levels before they're basically exhausted and can't do anything else. And obviously, you can doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get four activations with them because things can happen that will make them more fatigued, like fighting and stuff like that. Uh, it is, or you'll get a really shitty yeah. movement die <laughs> well, result. See, that's like, the other cool, I just burned an activation <laughs> to move one hex. So it is roll to move, which is you know, I understand that that is probably one of the worst uh, the worst mechanics in gaming, um, but it doesn't seem too bad so far. I mean, it can get really frustrating, and although it is roll to move, it's it's a d six, so it's just going to be one to six. If you're using a leader, you're going to get plus one anyway. If you're using a confederate leader, you're going to get plus two. So, uh, yeah, you are going to get some crappy one moves that are going to cause you fatigue. But I think it's not too bad. So, Look, what I'll add real quick is two things. One, I didn't even think about it being roll to move in the sense <laughs> of, like, you think of Monopoly yeah, or, yeah. shit, I don't know, whatever else is roll to move. Because it, it just makes sense. Um, because, one, it's... It's the Civil War, so th- those delays don't bother. Like, it's frustrating. Like, ah, shit, come on. <laughs> but it, what it also really encourages you to do is use your leaders. Right. I mean, that's why you get that bonus is because you should still be in command range of your right. leaders. Yeah, it's it's very much – and it kind of reminds me of um, a Victory Lost, which I don't know if you've – it's actually part of a series. Uh-uh. There's Victory Lost, Victory Denied, and there's another one coming. Um, but if – it's a fun game – if you play the Russians in that game, you only get, so you've got, I don't know, eight headquarters or something like that, units that you can use to activate units around them. But at the beginning of the game, you get to pick which five you're going to use. And those are the only five you'll ever get to activate. So it's very important that you keep those guys positioned and spread out properly. And this one kind of reminds me of that because it's very important where you keep your leaders, how you manage them. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So as I... It's uh sorry go ahead. No, it's just I th- I think I mean I don't know. I don't know your game tastes like great r- right? I mean we've only hung out a few times now we're doing this. I think I'll get to know them eventually, but so I don't want to speak for you, but I was super impressed with it. And I know you're just playing solo, but 
to me, the rule book was pretty intimidating. Like there's a lot of crap in there, but you actually don't end up using most. Of yeah. It. It's if you just read the standard rules, sometimes. Oh yeah. It I, I'm itself. talking just standard. But then yeah. when you read the advanced rules um, for Atlanta czars, it's really, it's, there's not that much in the advanced rules. It's two or three pages. And then the rest of the advanced rule book is just scenarios. But every right. scenario has a number of special rules that you have to keep track of as well. So, but that's not a problem. I mean, it'll be fine. It's it's kind of like ASL. ASL always has two or three different scenario special rules. This one has more than that. But uh, for me, the only and the only difficulty I've had so far is making sure that I know who is in command of who, because it's not <laughs> the colors don't right. always line up and the uh like the unit formations written on the side of the counter are not always who's in charge of who but i think it says at the beginning right. of the advanced rule book like basically here's your sort of order of battle so yeah that'll probably be my featured game next month because i'm going to be playing that a lot over the next few weeks oh man if, if that's the case i need to actually we should probably save that for april to be honest why is that because we're gonna, because we're gonna spend four days. Oh playing yeah, it in yeah, April. we're definitely gonna play that. Well, that'll be yes, yeah, end of April, beginning of May. We'll be playing that a lot, so we'll see. Maybe yeah, I'll do yeah. Pericles instead. Because uh, I, I need to dive in. I, I've been talking about great campaigns for so long now, and I've, I still have only played some really basic yeah. scenarios. Um, if you, so do you have, um, do you have roads to Gettysburg? Yes, I have. Those are the okay. two I have. Right. Is Atlanta's ours and right. the new the roads to Gettysburg two is the other one. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. Especially with you know, um, what you might call it's coming back into print. Uh, right, Stonewall Jackson's yes. way too. So I'm I'm really reluctant to buy any of those older stuff because yeah. Road don't to Gettysburg two. This is the one that just came out a couple years ago. So yeah, Road to Gettysburg two and Atlanta's ours yeah. are both right. recent. Yeah, and then yeah, good stuff. I'll I'll be excited yeah. to hear more about. I that. played. Pericles, I played that one time. That's the uh, Ancients game, Athenians versus Spartans. Um, and so we finished up the U.S. Civil War. There's three of us at play basically every Thursday night together. Um, we finished up U.S. Civil War and we're deciding what to play next. And uh, one of them suggested Pericles. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I picked the last two. I picked USC and Civil War. So let's whatever you want to play, I'm up for it. And I started looking into it and I saw was Mark Herman, who has some really good games and some not so good games. He's kind of hit or miss for me. Um, and then I saw that it was sort of basically the same mechanics as Churchill, which I just didn't think was interesting at all. And immediately started thinking, okay, well, I guess I'll play. Uh, you know, I'm still going to get to hang out with a couple of friends. I'll play it. And then I was really pleasantly surprised. Um, we only played one night of it. We played basically, I think we played two turns, and and then we're going to reset and we're going to play the full campaign. Uh, but it was it was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. It's got an interesting two versus two mechanic where two players play Athenians and two players play Spartans. And in the first part of the game, the Athenians kind of go against each other in politics and the Spartans go against each other in politics. And then after that, they go out and they, you know, the Athenians fight the Spartans in the, in the big war over, you know, the whole area. So it's, it's an interesting game. It's a lot better than I thought it was going to be. I can't really say much about it because I've only played a couple turns. I'll see how the full campaign goes, but so far so good. I like it. It's definitely better than Churchill. 
So from what you've seen, is it true 2v2, or will like one of the Spartans do what they can to prevent the other Spartan from winning? Uh, no. It, in the end, it's every man for itself. Because to win the game, first of all, you have to be on the side that wins the war, and then you have to have the most honor. So, okay. so even if... And can the other Spartan player do yes, things to... absolutely. And that happens okay. mostly in the politics phase, but... I think okay. as we get more into the strategy and play it more, I think during the theater phase, there's probably some things you can do as well there too, where basically it's, it becomes a little cutthroat once you know that your side is winning the war. But if you sabotage the other guy and you lose the war, then you're going to lose the game that way too. So, so yeah, it's an interesting, interesting 2v2 sort of, and then it becomes every man for himself. Yeah. Okay. And then I did play another game of Red Storm. I uh, went a lot <laughs> faster than I thought it would this time. So Mitch and I, we played the next scenario in order. We played RS4, which actually has both sides doing bombing raids. Um, so both sides put together a full raid package and everything. And basically at the beginning, you roll to see who goes first. So um, we rolled. I won the die roll. My guys got to go across the border first. His guys were going to come over a few turns later. So at some point, they're going to overlap. But basically, just who launched your planes first. And oh my gosh, my he shut down so many of my planes with his SAMs. <laughs> um, one of the, I guess if you want to call it a complaint in this game, is people have said that the SAMs aren't powerful enough. Not this game. Uh, holy <laughs> cow. I yeah. mean... It, it got to the point where I was not going to send a single bomber on target. None of them were going to make it to their targets. And since I went first, his bombers hadn't even gotten close to the border yet. And I said, you know what? We're done here. I concede this this game is over. Uh, we'll try it <laughs> wow. again. I mean, we're going to play again. I still had a great time. We both had a great time. Um, but holy cow, it went really quick. It was the quickest game of Red Storm I played because my planes were sam magnets so hmm. red storm still a great game still number still three, number three. Huh? yeah i mean so actually i wanted to talk about that um no because <laughs> not not about the fact that it's number three but i think when we talk about rating games and especially as we start slotting them into order and everything i think everyone rates games differently um and i know you were talking about a game telling a story that's important to you uh, i've been talking about how I want to know who I am in the game and and what that game is trying to do for me. So especially as we both go into Silver Bayonet, because I think Silver Bayonet, um, I'm not sure I'm not sure about the storytelling part of it. Um, as far as the uh, the who who you are in this, it still has a bit of a kind of a god mode to it, except that then we'll, we'll obviously we'll talk about the hidden movement as well, which is something unique to this game. But I was curious what you thought about that. I know you've talked about the storytelling. I've talked about who you are. That's what I want to know in the game. Is there anything else you think that is important as far as rating a game? I think this story's big to me. So even with, even with seventh fleet, which is a, that series is almost 40 years old now, right? I think it still successfully tells a story, and even if it's small stories, so just just the story of, like, for example, it was kind of felt like this Canadian carrier group was hundreds of miles away from any type of support. Like, they just set it up in a terrible position, and we did everything in our power to hunt down those bastards and destroy them. And it just kind of made for this funny story of like 
the Canadians making a run for it because they had no one mm-hmm. to support them. So like even small stories like that, story is still a big, I look for those things or like just one combat where you like, you're just talking about like surface to surface missiles, like flying wide or just bouncing off the ship or like ridiculous things like that, where you just joke around. The other thing is the types of decisions I'm making. It's one of the, I, I talk about this all the time and I don't know if I'm expressing it clearly, but when I, when I complain about the coin games and especially the coin games mm-hmm. I don't like, it's because the decisions I'm making in the game aren't fun to me. Yeah. And I think I- it, it's like setting propaganda in Liberty or Death or Cuba Libre or what it's just like not what I want to be doing. I don't want to constantly manage this thing that's a tug of war. I, I, I don't know. That's not a decision yeah. that I like to make when I'd rather be I doing I think we're on the same things. page. I think when I talk about who am I in this game, um, if I was playing a game where the goal of the game is to set propaganda, that's who I am. I'm the minister of propaganda in this game. But if I'm playing a game where I'm the general or, you know, the general of the Air Force or, or commander of the entire theater, whatever, um, I don't want to, and you talked about this with, I can't maybe Empire of the Sun, but I don't want to take an area, or maybe it was the advanced after combat guys, but I don't want to take an area because it gets me a point. I want to take an area because strategically oh, it's important for me to take that area. That was that um, um, Roman game. The Roman deck oh, okay. builder from GMT. Yeah, but to me, that's that's important when I determine who am I because I kind of want to put myself into the role of of someone in this battle, and that someone is never going to try to get a point. You know what I mean? Right. And and then I I should say there's practical things too, like so Zeppelin Raider is the game <laughs> I've enjoyed yeah. the least. Um, and it's not because like component wise was pretty nice and it was a cool theme and all those things, but that was a game where I had zero interest in any decision I was making. Now, if you go look at a game like Titan, Titan, actually cool theme, cool decisions, really cool concept just fails in execution. So like, there's other things to take into consideration, like fun level and things like that. But that's like big picture stuff yeah. I look at. Now, even though we rate things differently, I'll remind you, we are merely the arbiters. <laughs> so although things will be different, we have to reach some kind of agreement on That's it. right. Okay. All right. All right. Well, you we've mentioned it. We've we've spilled the beans already. Our featured game this month is going to be Silver Bayonet. Uh, Silver Bayonet is actually a re-release of – oh, my gosh. But I've got <laughs> the 25th anniversary edition, so it must be 25-plus years old. Right, but <laughs> I feel terrible because I'm forgetting um, <laughs> what the original Gene's, game was called. No, Gene's last name. Oh, <laughs> Gene Gene Billingsley. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so this is originally. A, I'm so sorry. Okay, so Silver Bayonet is originally a Gene Billingsley game. Um, we both played the 25th anniversary edition, mm-hmm. which was co-designed by Gene Billingsley and Mitchell Land, put out by GMT Games, released in 2016, and. You've spent a little bit more time on this than I have, so I'm going to let you take the lead on the mechanics just real quick. This is a game that is um, offers a, a bunch of different ways to look at and game what we talked about with We Were Soldiers and Baptism. Basically, the fighting in Yadring Valley, landing, landing um, LZ X-Ray, all those things. Um, 
so why don't you, I guess, why don't you take it away and say what you want to say about the game big picture wise and kind of the historical setting? Yeah, so it's, it's 1965 Vietnam. Um, if you are a fan of jungle maps, you're going to love this map. Oh, beautiful map. Uh, it it is beautiful. And, map. Oh, yeah. man, it's nice. Yeah, it looks great. Um, it, it functions great. Um, I mean, I, I know obviously it's, it's based on a, a, a real place in the world, but there are mountains and forested hills and there are clearings and tea plantations and everything you would expect. Um, and it works really well. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful map. So um, maybe not. Well, actually, here in Vietnam it is a beautiful place, but in November 1965, it was probably not such a beautiful place for these guys. Um, we talked about it a little bit. It was basically an ambush, um, sort of a strategic large-scale ambush that the Vietnamese set for the Americans um, and threw them into some combat because they really wanted to fight Americans. They wanted to learn about us and how to fight us and how to kick us out of their country. So, um the scale of the map, I think each hex is like a mile across, approximately. Um, the scale of the counters is, I think, I think it's companies. So, um, but you get quite a few. So you can get up to, you can easily get up to multiple battalion strength if you concentrate your forces. Um, so there's there's lots of counters out there. There's on the on the, the North Vietnamese side. There's actual NVA army counters, North Vietnamese army, and there's also VC counters, which are Pavin. People's Army of Vietnam, they're having right. Well, they're yeah, right. They're combined, but there's there's NVA and there's there's VC. There's the red and the black counters, but the VC are are really crappy, and the red armor, the red counters are actually pretty good. And then there's what they call the what they call the Free World Alliance. I think is the South Vietnamese and the U.S. combined, and they each have slightly different roles. The U.S. Um, we'll talk about this later, but they don't have to roll for coordination if they're all the same battalion going to to attack together, stuff like that. Um, I think what's really unique about the game, what's interesting to me, is the air mobility, which makes sense because this was the beginning of air mobile warfare. Um, basically, the U.S., you get a bunch of helicopters, and you don't even have them on the map for the most. Man, I don't think, yeah, you don't have them on the map at all. You keep them on a card off to the side of the map. And basically, those helicopters can just sort of teleport your guys around the map as much as you want to. Now, there are limited limitations. They can only hold so much. They will take fire if they try to land next to uh, VC counters or whatever. Um, and you, the guys that are coming off the helicopters, if they're landing in a hot landing zone, they have the chance of taking fatigue. But basically, the helicopters just teleport everyone around the map. And it's amazing because you can have guys that are kind of stranded in the middle of the jungle. And as long as you have relief forces available and helicopters available... You can bring in reinforcements instantly and immediately on your turn, which is really and cool. So I want to talk just a few things to set because I think this ties in. Yeah. And I think it's something at least you and I know a little bit about to be, enough to be dangerous. So a little bit of background of Vietnam. This is kind of the first real engagement between the, the North Vietnamese and the U.S. forces. And we kind of talked about that, right? The, right? the North Vietnamese wanted to draw the Americans out and they wanted to test them. And as Rich said, this is the first test of the airmobile, uh, air right? And so they developed this. This was going to be the new form of warfare. Um, and so a little bit of history of Vietnam. So going into prior to March 1965, the U.S. role in Vietnam was only as an advisor role. And then in March 1965, combat troops go on. And then real quick, it escalates 
real fast. Like I think it started with under a hundred thousand, and it went to a hundred thousand, and then we're up to a couple hundred thousand, and all of a sudden you have all these combat troops on the ground in Vietnam. And what you said with with what you found interesting about the game is. <clears throat> So you have these forces, and they're dropped off in the middle of the jungle, or they're out there, or whatever. They're cut off. And that was the... The helicopters were the lifeline to keeping those guys... Basically, they were, what, 14 miles out away from the nearest... You know, yeah. from their lines. And so the helicopters were their lifeline completely. Yeah, um, and there and was so no just, there was no landing strip for a plane either. It was a clearing that only helicopters could land on. So it's not right, even like, so like DMV and Fu or something. It's literally helicopters were the only thing they had. And LZ X Ray, what they say, eight helicopters at a time. Yeah, and that so sounds right. Uh-huh. You would, you'd fly in eight helicopters, which I think he said was like half a company, maybe at a time, or maybe it was like three quarters of a company at a time. I could be wrong, and I apologize, but. So you're moving in, let's say it's three quarters of a company at a time, then they have to go fly back however many miles, 15 miles, fly in another group, and then go refuel at a different location, go pick up another group. And so that's kind of the where we're at, right? Yeah. I just wanted to add in a few things historical setting-wise yeah. to maybe paint the picture a little yeah. bit. Yeah, and the whole the whole map is is right near the Cambodian border. So the VC, obviously, or not the VC, the, the NVA or the PAVN are, are coming in, in some scenarios across the border, and then they can retreat back to the border to rest and recuperate, and the U.S. can't follow them there. So the big, the big sort of um, uniqueness to the, to the U.S. thing is the helicopter movement, um, but the big uniqueness to the, the North Vietnamese Army is the hidden movement. So mm-hmm. there is, you know, it's a good size map, but there's plenty of room for everyone to spread around and everything. But depending on the scenario uh, that you're playing, the North Vietnamese army can have up to 30 different army counters on the board at one time. Uh, hidden marker Hidden counters. marker counters, right. And right, only yeah. that player knows what's under those counters because probably 20 or 25 of them are going to have nothing under them at all. Uh, but you never know which ones have under have counters under them. Um, in the solitaire game, even the human player, we'll talk about that later, but the human player doesn't know. Um, in the in the regular game, the other guy actually knows and he's got a screen to cover everything up. But if you just sort of wander past one of the hidden or hidden movement counters because you think, well, there's probably nothing under there anyway, and there is something under there, they're gonna ambush you and they're gonna ambush you hard and it's it's really gonna hurt. So uh, the hidden movement is is really cool, and uh, that's really well done. Before we dive too much into the like gameplay, a couple of things I want to mention real quick. We already talked about the map; it's gorgeous. One thing worth pointing out is the counter quality. So I know you don't clip your counters, Rich. I do, <laughs> but this is a game where I don't need to clip my counters. Yeah. It's the really nice, high quality. If you bought Tank Duel recently, it's like that type yes. of quality. Really nice quality counters. You could clip them, but you're gonna like give yourself carpal tunnel because they're super thick and they're nice they're nice quality so super nice components a true d10 which That's means right. you have a 10 <laughs> instead of a zero yes. which is very rare worth pointing out yeah uh so you have great great components and then actually you have a is i think it's 13 scenarios so you have uh seven or eight 
think it's eight, maybe it's nine, somewhere in there, basic scenarios, which you're actually, most of those, you're not even using the map. Which I love you're that. Using That's a, really cool. It's it's actually really yeah. nice. You're using an eight by 11 uh, scenario card. And so like, for example, on the LZ X-Ray scenario, you maybe have 20 counters and you're playing in this, I don't know, three inch by five inch, probably a little bit bigger than that area and it's a great way to actually learn the game before you move to this giant board and it makes it really approachable so you can learn the the game much like next war which was also done by gene and mitch is very sequential the the sequence of play Mm -hmm. you just go step by step um and so it's nice to learn it in these small bite-sized chunks in these other scenarios and i'll add those scenarios are very soloable because in those scenarios you're not worrying about hidden movement you're not worrying about ambushes in those scenarios you're really just dealing with assault and maneuver right um, yeah in the basic game there is no hidden movement at all it's only in the campaign game that there are hidden movement rules right and and i i we're going to talk about it a little bit i think one thing that we should express before we even get close to talking more about these so we both played with a beta version of the solo Mm -hmm. rules it's nice to have those this game is the campaign game is designed to be a two-player absolutely it's just the way it is and i don't think i mean it'd it'd be really unique to be able to make this work truly as a two-player game going way back to operation pegasus you know same kind of deal you're dealing with hidden movements and ambush all over the map and it's just you can't do that with one person so Largely, Silver Bayonet is meant for two people, but there's a whole bunch of solo, smaller, soloable stuff if you really want to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like you said, with the especially with the smaller scenarios that all fit on one card, super easy to play. I mean, you can you can knock out a scenario in 45 minutes solitaire or with someone else. And I mean, you could you could just grab the counters you need and you could take it to a coffee shop if you wanted to. Oh yeah, and like, what are the basic rules? Sixteen pages with pretty wide margins. Yeah. Like the basic rules are actually pretty straightforward, yep. and it helps that it's so sequential because as long as you understand kind of the basics, there's two types of combat, right? As long as you understand the basic differences between them, right? You could just flip through the rules and then just follow that sequence of play in order. Yeah, and I think the sequence of play has the rules, rule references on there too, so you can easily look it up. Does I can't remember if it does. I think it does, does yeah. yeah. So it's really approachable. Yeah. I, I thought so. What did you think about the two different kinds of combat? Okay, so <laughs> I don't know if we want to save this for... All right, real quick, before we get to those, <laughs> let's just talk overall picture of the game. So pretty straightforward movement, right? I mean, it's just, you have movement allowance, you have... Yeah, um, I mean, except for the helicopter stuff, yeah. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. sure. It Other is than interesting the that everyone on the uh, the PAVN side, they all have nine movement points, which is because hidden movement right. counters have nine movement points. So everyone has nine movement points. Right. Yeah. And then they, and they interact with terrain a little bit differently, right? Like some of the terrain doesn't affect them the same way it affects the free world. Nah, I don't remember that role, but maybe I missed uh, that I one. I thought some you of the jungle be. hexes, maybe. <laughs> Anyways, it, whatever. Um, it, the one weird thing with combat is is some terrain does not extend a zone of control out of it. Correct. And which is the one. every terrain has... The same piece of terrain has different values depending on what you're trying to do. So, right, like, if right. you're trying so to... So let's save that yeah. for the combat. Okay, <laughs> okay so movement's basically... 
it is what it is. And so you go movement and then you have, you commit your artillery, right? Uh, I think first you commit your attacks and then you do your offensive right, bombardment okay. and then you carry out okay. your attacks. Right. All right. Okay. That's the basic flow. The unique thing about this game, in addition to the other things we've already talked about, is there's actually two types of attacks. One of the attacks is, and maybe you should talk about this more, but one of those attacks is ratio-based. The other attack is you just look at your attack value. Strength points, right. And and look for a result. Yep. And, and you take into consideration all these different types of things. It's kind of a little bit, you need to set things up. You aren't just doing an assault attack. It's assault, and what's the other one? Maneuver. Maneuver. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, right. So, and not only are they different, is there a different basis for determining how strong the attack is, but they also have wildly different results. Assault combat. Assault combat is very deadly. Maneuver combat causes fatigue and retreats. And po- right. possibly and losses. If you don't but, have yeah. maneuver combat, let's say let's say you're attacking my hex. And you only attack with an assault. Mm-hmm. I can withdraw. Right, right. And you have to pass a check yeah. for that, right? But, you can't just automate. Yeah, and if you're, but if you attack with both, I can't withdraw. If you do yeah. maneuver and assault, I'm in it. Right. But and, and the, the bonuses are such that, especially like if you're hidden and in the jungle, you're going to pass that check. So right, the, the withdrawal. Yeah, the avoid. Right. Yeah. So to answer your question, what do I think about them? I think it's a really novel concept. I do think it's a little bit pain in the ass. Yeah, um, and it, so that's, and I, it, it's, a, that's it's a definite harsh, benefit but... because this and this leads into uh, one of one of my annoyances with the system, and that's the uh, the coordination check. It's not called coordination. What's it called? Uh, oh, it's, um... it's not called coordination, but that's what it is. It's coordinating your assault. So if you're going to send, you know, you can try to attack from three hexes with a couple different battalions, but you're going to have to roll to see if that attack is coordinated. Um, and where this comes important, because anytime you're doing assault and maneuver combat at the same time, unless it's one U.S. battalion, you know, multiple companies from the, all from the same battalion, then they never have to roll for coordination. But even if it's multiple battalions, or especially if it's the case of any NVA units or VC units or whatever, you're going to have to roll for coordination in order it is to coordination. it is okay in order to do that assault and maneuver at the same time which not only do you have to set it up then but then you also have to you know you have to roll a die and hope that your attack is coordinated so it's interesting that doesn't bother me what in really the when i say it's a pain in the ass i mean it could be a pain in the ass if you have someone that really min maxes their turns <laughs> really goes for the best result yeah, you could spend forever just thinking of the combinations to get the p- perfect assault to to get the perfect maneuver. Yeah, I think that could no. be, but I because there's not that many counters, I don't think you'll see That's that too true. much. That's true, and I yeah, it just it's a little bit more thinking than I want to do, which is just kind of my playing yeah. style. I don't make the best decisions when I play war games. I usually just kind of play by the seat of the pants and go for what I think is cool. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's a little bit of an interruption when I got to like think about like you have to set these pieces now. Like you really need to set up these attacks and do a little bit. But it is unique, right? Yeah. That can get fidgety with counters too. Um, there, There is a battle board that helps with that. But 
if you've got yeah. a lot of counters in a small space and these guys are doing assault and these guys are doing maneuver and these guys are assaulting this hex and these guys are assaulting this hex and yeah but there is a battle board to help with that but I, i'm clumsy so i'm knocking stuff over all the time it do, it does get a little claustrophobic on there with i do agree but i that battle board's nice it is a little bit if you have a lot to pull everything mm -hmm. off and I mean, it, it's at least coordinated enough to, to put it back on there. It's certainly not the most fiddly. Nothing compares to ATS. <laughs> fiddliness. Um, so I do want to go back to the coordination role. Because I don't think it's as bad as you're selling it, but maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> because you have to do really bad to get a fully uncoordinated frontal assault. Because you can have four different results. And if you're the Americans and you're attacking with one company, you really don't even have to worry about this. Um, you can be fully coordinated, you can be partially coordinated, you can be uncoordinated, which still allows you to do your attacks, you just don't get maneuver combat support fire. And then you suffer a column shift in DRM, and then there's the, the really bad one, which is if you really bungle the coordination attack, yeah. you do an uncoordinated frontal assault, which is... right. Like one guy, right? <laughs> yes, and and the and the other your opponent gets to pick it. <laughs> so, it it, I think that that last one you just have to fail your roll by two though. So if you think about it, if you've got so let's say you've got North Vietnamese army and they've got fairly good troops, but their morale is six. So you've got you know three battalions or three companies or whatever, and you're about to put together a pretty good assault and you're about to wipe somebody out. You roll an eight for coordination. All of a sudden, these knuckleheads just charged in ahead, and you've got a thirty percent of completely blowing that attack. So, well, that that was the only thing that annoyed me is that if you if you basically on an eight, nine, or ten, you're going to completely bungle the attack, and one of your guys is going to lose a step, and you're going to lose the turn. So. It seemed a little harsh for me. Um, I don't know if, if I would have done it, and I'm not a, <laughs> I wasn't there for testing. I didn't design the game, but I would have done something different. Like maybe maybe all the assaulting guys, they all have to attack one at a time. That way, instead of sending six firepower, you're sending two three times or something like that. So a, a couple things I'll add real quick. Uh, one's a correction. It's if the same battalion, so not same company, if the same battalion's attacking. You have automatic U.S. For the U.S., is, right. Right. It, it's kind of like great campaigns in the American Civil War. If you're the Vietnamese player, you better make sure that you have HQs to coordinate those attacks. Yeah, but you've only got a couple yeah, that, for the whole map. <laughs> that's true. Now, in the smaller <laughs> yeah. scenarios, it's not as big a deal because you're already there. You're in the action, and chances are you have an HQ in support. You just better not lose yeah. it. And I, But I think one of the important things to note here is it's – probably a historical thing i mean that was the big deal with the whole deal is the the lack of coordination right. between the the pavin forces yeah. and they didn't have radios to do they anything. were using trumpets right bugles <laughs> and shouts and yeah hand signals so i it's it's probably to echo historical accuracy to do it i mean i get it it's frustrating you yeah. go in and you set up this attack and then you roll and then you lose it yeah. all I mean, I liked the game. I, I want to play it more. I really want to play it in campaign mode. That's really about the only nitpick I had with the game. 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of cool stuff here. I mean, you're, there's things we haven't talked about. You're, car, you're calling in air fire support. Mm-hmm. You've got artillery, ambushes if you're the Vietnamese player. Um, one cool thing is you both have secret victory point markers. Yeah, so we didn't mention that, but that's The game's really cool. not always going to play out the same time. And so the U.S., one, one thing that's kind of cool is the U.S. is forced to, they have to move the um, supply unit, right? They have to basically supply one of the outposts. Yeah, is that right, or is it an HQ unit? Whatever. I think it's it's one of the special forces camps. I think. Yeah. yeah, and so they they have to constantly be moving towards that camp, and they need to protect it. And like they can automatically lose if they don't do it. Is that right? Uh, it depends on the scenario. But yes, there are scenarios where. I don't know if it's automatic loss. Maybe it depends on the VCs, but or victory conditions, not Viet Cong. Um, <laughs> maybe it depends on which victory condition you pull, but I think in some, it might just be like they get a bunch of points or something if you don't okay. do it, if you don't put it on the map. So let's talk about the the secret victory. So I like that. I like that rule. They're, they can be all over the place. It can be find and destroy the Viet Cong Field Hospital. It can be inflict losses. It can be take both of the Special Forces camps or just things like that. So you don't know for sure. And that I think that helps the um, the hidden movement aspect of the Absolutely. game. So in Operation Pegasus, the, the victory conditions are always the same and the goals are always the same. So even though you have hidden markers all over the map you have a pretty good feel that you know what the Vietnam, the Viet Cong players doing, the, the North Vietnamese, Vietnamese players doing in this game. And in the designer notes, they talk about this a little bit. The North Vietnamese players really playing the shell game mm-hmm. where you don't know where the army's at under those hidden force markers. And you don't know where that ambush is coming from. And you, now you really don't know because you don't know what their secret victory, uh, objectives are. Yeah. And it's a nice, I think it's a nice touch. Yeah. yeah I, I, anything that adds really good fog of war, I'm a big fan of. So whether you're talking about secret victory conditions or units that you don't know how strong they are until they activate, um, all, hidden movement, all that stuff, I'm a big fan of that. Chit pull for that matter. I mean, chit pull is, is a method, a kind of fog of war. So what's that? What did you think of the just overall rules and rules complexity? Um, I mean, it, they were. It's not the it's not the most complex rule I met, but it's definitely it's not a casual game. Um, but I would also say if if you're playing with someone that knows it, it's very easy to teach because all you have to do is follow the sequence of play. Right, and and well, I'll just echo kind of what I said earlier: is once you get those two different types of attack yeah. down. Those standard, those standard scenarios are going to be a lot easier to play. Which I've played more of those. My campaign, my I will admit before we get too far in this, the the only campaign game I played was the um, beta solo rules. Right, same here. I haven't played campaign against another person. Definitely want to do that. And I think so. We're we're still going to rate this game today, but I would not be surprised if if after we both play this. In an opposed campaign game, if it goes up, because like I said, it's designed for mm-hmm. two, and you can just see—at least I can—and I think you can, just based off how you're talking about it—you can see that 
the, I think it will really shine as a two player game in the the campaign setting. Yeah, hundred agreed, hundred percent agreed. Uh, okay. Anything else that really stood out before we talk about the the beta rules, which I think are worth mentioning? Any pros or no? I mean, pros for me are um, I I like asymmet- asymmetrical uh, games, and in this one, the U.S. being able to teleport around. Basically, I use that word, and I know it's a dumb word to use, but you know, from a game point of view, that's what you're doing. Uh, obviously, U.S. being able to use air mobile. Uh, use the helicopters not only just for for moving troops around but also for supporting attacks and even in in i think you can use them for defensive as well if you have the airpoints available so um that's a big pro for me like i said the only con was uh you know rolling an eight and having your well sub attack go all to hell but you know things happen sometimes all my planes get shot down by surface air missiles and sometimes my perfect perfectly formed attack uh, some dumbass company runs in and gets shot in the face. You can <laughs> solve this by just playing as the U.S. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which, you know, <laughs> just, the, the, just quit playing as the so, and that Actually, that's an interesting thing, too, because one of the VC's condi- victory conditions, or, you know, which could be an automatic loss condition, is if the U.S. loses too many troops, you know, you can, you can throw the South Vietnamese at them, and if they get killed, you can go, well, too bad. But once you start sending U.S. troops home in body bags, people start getting really upset. So it's nice to use the U.S. And this kind of reminds me of a game like Liberty Roads where you uh, you can take the risk of using your elite units, but that also means you can take the risk of losing them at the, at the, the trade-off for a bonus. So the U.S. units are, are more powerful and better organized, but if you lose them, people are going to get mad and you're going to lose the game that way. So. That's another pro. Um, so just, I, I mean, I think I hit on all mine. Um, my biggest con is just that, that combat, just because it's, it's unfamiliar, um, is one thing. And like I said, it just takes, you need to set up your pieces a little bit more. And especially as I think if you're playing the Vietnamese player, you got to be real choosy because with the U S player, let's say you set up the attack and it doesn't go well. Well, you kind of just try again. With a Vietnamese player, you really got to kind of pull back, go back into hiding, and set it up all set it up all over yeah. again, right? I mean, you don't want to be caught right. out in the open as the Vietnamese. And player. that's actually you want to get back on those hidden. Yeah, that's markers. a good segue to the beta rules as well, because if you play with the the solo rules, it kind of teaches you that that's how you're supposed to do that. Because anybody that's identified that's not under a hidden movement marker, the first thing they do is get the hell out of dodge, so they can't be hidden again. Right. And actually, that's a good point. The hidden rules, and I, I have some minor quibbles about them, but also they're yeah. under beta, so I get it. It also, I think it helps you understand attacks because the, so under the beta rules, the North Vietnamese are partially designed to be played like bots. Basically, you have guidelines how to move them, how to attack with them. Basically, if they're under hidden movement markers, they're going to go towards objectives or they're going to go towards the nearest Arvin troops, yeah. that type of thing. Um, they, in assault and maneuvers, it basically tells you, okay, if you have these odds, yeah, then you, you need this many forces. Otherwise, don't right. do an assault. Then you just do maneuver. And so it, it does help you kind of see, like, all right, when is it worth it to add in an assault? Yeah, and it'll maneuver. tell you, use this many for assault, this many for maneuver, yep. based on the terrain type and the odds and everything. So... 
the 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 doubt. So that's great for learning how to make those things. I think the downside is. Oh, what what I'm gonna say? Well, I don't know if you do. I think you shouldn't be using these rules unless you really know the game, because your setup. Here's what happened in my game. My victory objectives were eliminate thirty Pavin forces and capture Mm -hmm. the field hospital. How I set up my forces, they were dictated to basically. And it's just because I didn't know the campaign very well. I had them set up close enough to play coup, where play coup was the closest spot. Well, guess where all the Arvin forces are, including the Arvin uh, uh, yeah. armor. And so basically, I had a battalion of North Vietnamese face checking play coup, getting their asses <laughs> kicked. And after, and you know, the the um, the Pavin forces get a free turn to attack if they can get within range of an Arvin force yeah. or a U.S. force. And so at the end of the turn, and then I had stupidly set the um, uh, the VC up near one of the special forces camps. I don't remember which one's which, but the one I think in it the was northwest Co. side. Yeah, yeah. And that was dumb because I didn't understand their strength. And theirs, theirs was an uncoordinated frontal assault. So I had one guy in go get obliterated. At the end of the first turn, I had like eight Pavin step losses. So I was a third of the way there. Wow. And then on the detection roll, on my first round of um, patrols, which is another thing we didn't talk about, is you can send out patrols with the Sigi and the... Um, mm-hmm the special forces for the U S to go find uh, hidden unit markers and reveal them. Well, you have this field hospital in the campaign game and in the beta rules, it basically, if you roll a natural one, yeah, you found it it. shows you found the field hospital. I found the field hospital, like eight hexes outside of play coup, which was my other victory (laughs) point deal. So it's like, okay. And then it was just a matter of, all right, kill them and go take the field hospital. And that was so, a little bit of that is on me setting up too close to play coup to then follow the directions, the bot orders, and then you're just falling into the play coup base camp to get ob- obliterated. Yeah. I had a different situation, but basically I had a bunch of reinforcements from the NVA come in from Cambodia, and then they all met immediately up to Duck Go because that was the closest objective hex to them. So, so most of the hidden movement markers most of them went the same place. And there were a few around Play Coup and a few around uh, Play May, uh, but most of them went up to Duck Co. So, you know, if I was a player, I would definitely want to spread those guys out. But they all kind of went the same direction because that was their closest objective. Yeah, I think, and so I think... Because they had to take two special forces camps. Right, right. That's the, um, that's the, so they have automatic victory conditions which are either take play coup or take both special forces camps. Yeah. Um, and, or I think kill eight steps of us, I think something like that. Yeah. And then there's just a straight up, uh, like losses deal. If you, if you go through all, yeah, all the turns or whatever. Um, so I think you need enough familiarity to like maybe override those bot orders. Like, okay, don't go to play Q. Yeah. To just, to just, <laughs> like let them come out because that's what you want you want to be able to ambush them you don't want to i mean the arvin aren't the strongest in the world but you're not gonna attack you know two armor counters and in a special forces camp because that's another thing we didn't talk about is the terrain gives defensive values yes and special force camps and play coup are like the strongest things you can attack yeah they have a four right yeah and not only that, but you're talking about your armor being up in play coup. 
armor can't really go many places. It, it has to stay on the roads or in the urban areas. So if they're in the jungle, the armor can never get to them. Right. And again, that's one, it's beta. And yeah. two, that's me. I shouldn't have put them that close. <laughs> and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have charged my, now my goal, my goal really was to take the VC and take the co that's, I would have liked to have done it. They're not strong enough to do it because then once you find out the defensive value of deck co, you're like, Oh shit, this is actually gonna be really hard. Yeah. Um, but I think, that's I what, think I, what they're good for though, is if they're sitting next to it, then they make it a hot LZ and you can fatigue the guys that come in there. Sure. That's another thing too. You have there's there's aspect of this game that we didn't touch on with like Rich has said, hot LZs, um, fatigue, which makes troops less combat effective. All kinds of things going on. Yeah. Anything else on the beta, the solo rules? I mean, I think it'd be great for someone, and that's probably what it's designed for is someone who knows the game who just wants uh, not to play both sides, but they know the game. Then yeah, here's a here's some guidelines you can follow to play as the North Vietnamese. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a two-player game. It's a two-player game that someone has been nice enough to create some solo rules for. Um, you know, if if I want to play a solo game, there are probably other games that I think are better solitaire. Oh, sure. Um, so I, I would I just say, would admit I would say it's a two-player game that has solo rules if you want to play them. I don't even think that's that big a critique because I think they would admit that. Yeah. Also, I will say they do the hidden movement pretty cool. So you know playing solo all right there's eight guys under that hidden movement mark yeah even if you go detect them though there's a die roll right and even if they're revealed they pop up under another yeah. hidden movement mark yeah nope so you thought not, I was there. not there they're actually <laughs> over there yeah and so it it actually they that was designed really well i thought i think it works nicely oh yeah all right anything else about uh oh let's talk about recommended reading yeah, I think we covered that at the beginning, though, because, I mean, obviously, I really enjoyed Baptism. Uh, we Were Soldiers Once is, is – both those books are about this. What was that? There was another one you mentioned, too, Red so, Platoon or something? Oh, no, Red Platoon's about um, Cop Keating in Afghanistan. Oh, okay. Uh, oh. It's just one of the – I really like that book. There is a book that I think would recommend, and it's listed. Um, one, I'll say go watch the Ken Burns documentary if you haven't yet to get a feel for yeah, the Vietnam War. Yeah, and I War. think – I think episode, if you can even look it up, like look up Yadrang, Ken Burns, they'll even tell you, I think it's episode two or three covers it's, this. It's pretty early on because yeah. this is, I mean, right. this is early on anyways. Uh, Chicken Hawk by Robert Mason is an outstanding book. Um, so far, I found it a lot more enjoyable than We Were Soldiers in terms of like readability and just enjoyment level. Yeah. Um, it is about a Huey pilot and not only a Huey pilot, he flew Hal Moore and then flew missions in Yadrang. Oh, cool. So it ties in directly. And I think it's a nice, like, you know, the helicopter movement is such a big piece of this. Um, and the air support and all of those things. And I, It's nice to get that perspective. I think if you do that in conjunction with baptism or we were soldiers, you're going to real complete picture of Yadrang. And then... Chicken Hawk goes on past Yod. It's not a book dedicated to Yodring. It's his story. Really well written. Fascinating book about a Huey pilot in Vietnam. Um, really, really recommend it. Cool. There was something I was going to... Oh, well. That's okay. Yeah. Chicken Hawk. <laughs> Robert Mason. Absolutely. All right. I think it's that time. 
yeah, we need to find a home for this. So I'm gonna we're gonna start at Operation Pegasus, which is the 1980 game about the Siege of Quezon, which does two things similar. It has a nice air helicopter management component, and it also deals with ambush. Um Silver Bayonet's better. I mean, it's just, it's modern, it's more updated, it's nicer components, it's the better rules, they're more understandable. Operation Pegasus does some really cool stuff, but anything, the one thing I, I like about Operation Pegasus is the management of helicopter between, <coughs> the management of your helicopter points between, like, repair and damaged and, and that type of thing, but... um so if Operation Pegasus, which comes in right at the middle of our list right now, is our measuring stick, which I don't believe you've played. I have not. Okay. So um, are we going to go up the line or are we going to jump? How are we going to do this? Yeah, that's a good question. So here, uh, so, so here's another thing. We can at least set the, the boundaries, yeah, right? Definitely uh, higher than 11. Yep. And then so the next – Gene Mitch game is Next War in the Pakistan at four. Mm-hmm. Personally, I like Next War in the Pakistan more. I do too. Uh, I like it. And one of the things I love about the Next War series is that and I've said this before: it did not attempt to just make a war game with modern components. It and and especially as they continue to add the uh, all the um, the supplements to it, it becomes more and more different from any previous war um i will say that's one of the things i like about this game too though is that it does model that you know this this air mobile that was a brand new thing that they invented for this battle so right um so it's it's in that stratosphere but i like next war better oh i think it i think it models yeah. vietnam war very well from what i know about it i mean i think it models this campaign yeah very well yep um, so and, I, and here's here's another thing to compare it against is how much I rave about next war in the Pakistan combat resolution. I'm not doing the same thing here. Not that it's terrible. Yeah, like I said, but uh, yeah, okay. So it's between eleven and four. Okay, so I'm gonna say I'm gonna look at number six, Battle Him. This is a better okay. game than Battle Him. I like Battle Him. It's good, um, but it's. Uh, one of the things I don't like about Battle Him is the the two. Well, I don't know. I don't want to say I don't like it. The two different levels of of loss that you can take is annoying to keep track of. Um, other than that, I mean, Battle Him Gettysburg. Yeah, it's kind of a Civil War thing, yeah, though. I mean, I, that two levels of loss is pretty common. And really, it doesn't matter unless you're playing the campaign game, because the the one doesn't go into overnight. If you're playing a single day, it doesn't matter anyway. But anyway, the Gettysburg, I think, is good. The Pea Ridge, I think, is better. But I would take this over Battle Him. Here's one thing I would say. The small scenarios in Silver Bayonet blow the small scenarios in Battle Him out of the water. Yeah. I think I think if you're only playing the small scenarios in Battle Him, you're missing the point of the game. Because it's just your face planning each other. Like, right. It's just charging oh, the line in so, Gettysburg. It's so brutal. Yeah, I mean... Right, right. right. Like, I saw some guys doing a review based off of it, and it's like, well, I think you're really missing it. Yeah, piece, so. and I think the problem is, I think they even tell you, they, they the what's the, the one, the glorious three hours or whatever they call it, they're like, yeah, you should yeah. play this one. No, don't play that one. Right. I agree. <laughs> I agree 100%. So, uh, maybe you're right. Because cause then if you look at the campaign games... I, I've raved about him. I love the campaign games and battle him. 
Yeah. The deal is I haven't played uh, Silver Bayonetta post. Right. The, the the thing I love about Battle Him is I love the maneuvering into battle. So like you said, it's, it's the big scenarios. Maneuvering into battle, getting into position, that's what makes it good. And that's why I like the P-Ridge one better, because the map is such a pain in the ass to move through. Yes, it's yeah. true. Um, so before we put it above Battle Him, there's just... Okay, Normandy 44 is below Battle Him. Yeah. See, I haven't played Normandy 44. Oh, I know yeah, you're crazy right. about Stalingrad 42. Now, Holland 44, Holland was on the list. It'd be a much tougher call because I love Holland 44. I haven't played Normandy, though. I really need to play Stalingrad so that we can we can be on the same page with something. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, we need something in those middle so numbers. Th- here's that the we thing about Normandy played. 44. It's a Zokbon game, um, which is good. It's got everything that it's supposed to have in it. But is there anything about Normandy 44 that kind of blows you away and says, wow, no. this is a great game? No. And I think you're, con- I think where I could be wrong because I'm not very good at the game. I think as the defender, as the Germans, your battle lines are almost always going to be in the same spot. The units may be different, but I think you're always going to be holding the same area. So you're, yeah, it's, it's better. Um, ooh. Onward Christian Soldiers. Onward Christian Soldiers has too many technical problems with the rule book and ambiguities. Yeah. And it really demands six of the eight people playing knowing the game, in my yeah. opinion. Uh, fine. All right. You sold me on it. Better than Batman. Right. So, since I haven't played Stalingrad 42, you're going to oh, have no. to figure out where no. that goes. Stalingrad 42 is my favorite game of the year last year. Sorry, but... Um, Every time I walk past that game I think at Stalingrad is the I think about best. <laughs> Stalingrad is the best Zokbond game I've played. I've only played three of them. But I was blown away. Like, when I'm done with Stalingrad, it's like, whoa. I gotta play that. I don't know how you set it up for ten hours in that massive a game and then want to go back. It was almost... It's below us civil war but like i played all day and then i was like yeah i'm ready to go again and that's pretty rude. Mm. you're killing me it's like 42 40 bucks or something at miniature market i'm gonna have to go get it now what that game is missing is even the small scenarios are massive yeah i got room on my table right now <laughs> dang yeah i almost like i was thinking um you know we may lose I thought we were going to lose one of our GCACW guys. Yeah. For Donkey Kong. And right. And it's like, oh, that's the guy bringing all the games. <laughs> and I was like, well, shit. What would I do if that didn't fall through? I was like, well, Stalingrad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. We're going to put it at number six on the list. All right. We didn't put it there. That's where it is. That's just where it is. Now, <laughs> here's the deal I am going to give it an asterisk. Asterisk. <laughs> because. Either I think you and I need to play this opposed and then come back. Yeah, definitely. Um, to give it a final. I mean, I, I do feel like we got a good enough feel for it. Um, although my campaign was very abbreviated. Um, let's play it opposed and then revisit it. Because I want to make sure the campaign is as good as I think it'll be. Cool. Sounds good. All right. All right, number six on the list. So just below number five, which is Stalingrad 42, and above numbers, the new number seven, Battle Hymn Volume 1. And somehow Red Storm is still sitting there at number three. Which, as I recall, Battle Hymn Volume 2 was scheduled to come out first quarter of 2019. 
still waiting on that one. Yeah, you know, they pushed <laughs> it back to quarter four. I'm not sure what happened. I don't know. But, but there's that, a new date. That it's one's got Shiloh in it, which is my favorite Civil War battle. So, <laughs> Yeah, I hope it comes. I, I don't have any pre-orders with them after their last debacle. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Battle Hymn Volume 2, let's. so last February I did this, and I thought we could do it again. Uh, let's talk about our most anticipated games of 2020. Everyone's doing this, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think you guys, you guys talked about Players Aids list on Chance of Gaming mm-hmm. in your last episode. There's a Player Aids list. Uh, it's just that time of year. Now, I will say last year I was a lot more excited about a lot. Like I had a bunch of Compass games on here, and this year there's not. I don't know. if I'm just like happy with what I am, but everything is either for the most part, a continuation of something I already own. So I'll start. We can just, we each have six games. Yeah. I cheated a little bit. I'll start number six. I do want to mention just a couple things real quick. Wings of the Motherland was on my list, but then it showed up. And I do want to mention a couple reprints would have made this list, but they're really basically just pretty much reprints. There's new rules in them, but U.S. Civil War, the second printing, that should come out this year. There's enough P500s for that. And then the 2020 version of Axis Empires, which is both games, Totaler Creek and Desenso, combined into one, are both coming out this year. All right, number six, and I'm kind of lukewarm on this, is the new Mark Simonish game, Caesar, Rome versus Gaul. Yeah. And this, it's just because I, I'm not sold on... It's card-based, right? Yet. It's card-based. It's point-to-point. So here's the deal. I like the card play and the movement and everything in Hannibal. I think there's some kind of like surprise cards that are kind of like you need to know they're in the game. It's the same thing with Twilight Struggle. You need to know they're coming because some of them are pretty major. It's like lose all your influence in this whole region. That's a little complaint. My biggest complaint is the combat is just combat I don't enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, this one, I mean, anything Simonich does is at least going to get my attention. This one I saw and I'm like, yeah, that that probably be fun to play, but I'm not going to get it. Right. I'll, I'll hold out yeah. on this one, but it, it still made the list for the exact same. It's Simonich. Some things I like about the game, but unless it's a different combat system, I can wait. All right. Number six for me is all bridges burning. This is a, is that a coin game. It is a coin game. Yeah. So, and part of the reason this is so anticipated for me is because I kind of feel like this is coins last chance for me. Um, I think, really, yeah, I think the coin games, for whatever reason, I'm becoming less interested in as they go. I still love Falling Sky, and I'll still play a coin game pretty much anytime anyone wants to play, but those times are fewer and far between. And the last couple of coin games just haven't really taken me. Uh, the Gandhi came, I didn't think it was that interesting. And Dragon, I thought the mechanics were kind of weird and overcomplicated. Um, so this is the first three-player coin game. I'm interested to see how that works out. And I'm just sort of interested to see if it's going to be good or if I'm done with coin. Uh, so I, uh, I've i made my coin opinion very clear. I, but I am like you. If it's offered, I'll play yeah. it. Because you can get it to the table even without people really knowing the game. Right. If they can just read the player. Yeah. So I do applaud them for that. Okay, my number five, I cheated again. It's, <laughs> um, so the Grand Tactical Series from Multiman Publishing, I've talked about this a little bit. I just got a small taste. This is a chit pull game that is um oh shit is it platoon level maybe it's company level i don't remember whatever it's it's got a lot of neat moving parts in it and um 
the four turns or whatever I played, I really enjoyed the Operation Mercury. Uh, so the Crete game. There's two games coming out from Multiman Publishing this year. SAR, which is really interesting because that is going to be a magazine-based GTS game. So I'm hoping it's really approachable. So a small footprint, get up and play so, in no time. and just. Work so there's going to be a full game and a magazine game? Uh, SAR is the magazine okay. game. Okay, but there's also going to be a, a full game. game. Okay. There's a Utah Got Beach it. game coming okay. out. Which, sure. Actually, which would be cool because I think everything I have that's D-Day-based is like Normandy 44 where it's really not D-Day. It's D-Day plus, you know. I don't actually have many tactical... Not that GTS is tactical. It's like one step up from tactical. It's partially tactical. I think it would be cool to have that. Cool. All right, over to you. Uh, next one for me is number five, the U.S. Civil War reprint. I'm sure. This, oh yeah, I cheated yeah. to get more games on this. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, I'm just super excited. This can be reprinted. I want to see. I haven't heard that much about. I mean, they've updated the rules a c- couple times already. I don't know what rules updates are going to be. I don't know if it's going to be just a reprint. I'm sure there's going to be some changes to it. Um, I know that there is. There's someone here in town that said. Yes, I definitely want to play that with you, but I want to wait till the reprint comes out. So, I will. Nice. Yeah. Uh, well, you and I should play. Oh yeah, definitely. And then next time we'll. I I meant to bring up your recent plays of the U.S. of War because I yeah <laughs> I have some comments on your comments, but we'll save that for next time. Absolutely. Uh, my number four is Next War Vietnam. The only reason this falls this far is because I still have three next war games to play. <laughs> yeah, I hear you on that one. It's, I've got it on my list too. Um, um, yeah, I've got I've got Korea sitting there, still in the shrink wrap, thinking, "Oh, that really needs to come out." So, yeah, yeah. but I'm looking forward to it. You're number four, sir. Number four for me is an MMP game called the called Last Stand: The Battle for Moscow. Um, it's obviously it's about the German. Uh, end of Barbarossa as they approached Moscow. It's about sort of the, the siege and attack on Moscow. It just looks really interesting to me. It's got a lot of those little mechanics that I really like, like uh, um, uh, finding out how, how strong your units are until after they activate, that kind of thing. It just looks good to me. I like the, the that end of end of Barbarossa last, you know, the siege mentality thing. Just looks good to me. So I'm looking forward to it. It's MMP, yeah. and it's the pre-order is like thirty-three bucks. So, and is it system-based? Like, is this part of a? I think it's a. I think it's a remake their... of an older game, but I'm not familiar with the older game. So, okay. So my number three is Battle Hymn Volume Two. Battle Hymn was the game that kicked kind of everything off for me. There are so many things of that game that I like. It's chit pull. It's combat is unknown when it's coming up mm-hmm. and like we talked about those campaign games are really enjoyable yeah so yeah if it ever comes and i really hope it does <laughs> battle him volume yeah. twos yeah absolutely. would have been on my list if i thought it was going to come out this year <laughs> uh three i sure hope because if it was that close last year then surely <laughs> yeah, I'm not yeah say surely. we'll see yes i would i would definitely get it if it comes out uh number three for me is next war vietnam so yeah okay that makes sense all right number two for me uh i'm cheating again so great campaigns of the american civil war we get we get two of them uh the first is the one i'm probably more excited about which is the reprint for stonewall jackson's way two 
just because it's impossible to track down for a reasonable price. And then Hood Strikes North is also coming out this yeah. year, and I think they're both confirmed by Multiman Publishing. Yeah, and they're they're selling those. Are those the two that they're selling together for like one fifty? Maybe okay. I actually haven't put my pre order. Okay, I think they've got a couple of them that you can combine and buy them both together, and it's a little cheaper. So uh, number two for me is also Civil War. This one's Great Battles of the American Civil War into the Woods. So this is the. Uh, I think it's like the 13th game in that series, but this is Battle of Shiloh, which I'm crazy about. Yeah, you know, if I thought about it, if I'd given this more thought and done more research, this probably would have made my my list, but it's hard to put something that, I mean, I haven't played them yet. Yeah. The, I, I, it's kind of like Line of Battle. Mm-hmm. It's something I think I'm pretty sure I'm going to like it. I just need to do it. Yeah. And um, we've got hey, the same number quick, one. Before we get to that, I'm looking at your uh, Last Stand Battle of Moscow, uh-huh. and I think it's part of the International Game Series. Is it? Okay. Does that sound right? Which I haven't played anything about that, or anything from that, but that's a Victory Loss and a Victory Denied are all part of that series. Oh, that makes sense then. Okay. Victory Loss, like I said, I'm a big fan of, so. Yeah, this one just looks really good to me. Yeah, cool. Okay. Yeah, so number one is OCS. Yeah, for both of us, Hungarian Rhapsody. Which is confirmed. It's coming. Even though they were a little bit shy, we're getting Hungarian Rhapsody for sure in 2020. Yeah. The big stretch is maybe third winner, which is that big-ass game. I don't even know exactly what it's covering. I'm assuming something on the Eastern Front could be way off base here, but they I've seen it play-tested at, like, Compass and at um, uh, um, MMP's deal. Winter Offensive. Cool. Yeah, I haven't heard about that one, so I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I thought I saw maybe that was like on a, in one of their tweets or something. I think they said that was a possibility for that in 2020. Um, but they, they have a lot of stuff coming out, um, so we'll see. Yeah. Although I think they did a pretty good job sticking to everything they said last year. Yeah. I, I'd have to go back and check. Yeah, we were actually just talking about that. Some friends were sitting around talking about uh, sort of MMP games, actually, and how... OCS Hungarian Rhapsody you would have thought that that would be like instant print but it took a while for them to get to their they don't have they don't call it P500 I think they need 550 and they just call it pre-order or whatever but um, lately MMP has been reaching out a little bit more on social media to promote some of their games so but I think they're doing it alphabetically and maybe that's why I haven't heard of Third Winter yet because I don't even know if it's up for pre-order oh okay again I I think it's a stretch to see if we got two OCS games of that size in 2020, that that'd be really impressive. I doubt we get third winner. That's just wishful thinking. The one thing I left off was all the ASL stuff we're getting. So CDG, which is shipping now, Croydon Gear, yeah, um, which is going to be our historical module at uh, Historic Fest, and then for King and Country, I don't have Brits yet, and I the one Brit scenario I played, I loved them. So I, I'm very excited to get that. When you played a Brits scenario, where was it? Was it like Burma or? It was, it must have been okay. because I was using the, like, they didn't cower rules. Okay. So that was awesome. Well, I think Brits, Brits never cower. Yeah. 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 So, and I want, yeah, I wasn't playing as the Brits. It was using Brit counters though. I'm, I'm forgetting the name. I think it was like Indian troops. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's a lot of really cool scenarios. The, the St. Louis ASL group a few years ago put together a whole scenario pack for the, India Burma theater. Nice. There's some good stuff in there. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's uh, I think there's a lot of good stuff coming out in 2020. It's just I've tampered my expectations from last year. It's like anything with a cool topic from in 2019 was like going on the list. And now I'm just a little more choosy. Mm-hmm. Like I said, actually everything that I put up here is based off something I've already played. If you count Caesar Rome versus Gaul coming from Hannibal and Hamilcar. Yeah, I think ex- except for Battle of Moscow and um, haven't played a GBACW game yet, that's probably true for me as well. Right. Some of these, like anything to do with Shiloh, unless it just looks terrible, I'm probably going to get it. Anything having to do with Hungary, I'm probably going to get it. So. Yeah, Hungary Rhapsody is going to be yeah. good. I... <sighs> yeah. All right. So that's our that's our most anticipated for 2020. That was a good episode. That was a long episode. Yeah, lots to talk about. But good stuff. Yeah, we didn't even talk about... Gosh, we hardly mentioned the U.S. Civil War in this episode. <laughs> Unforgivable. Okay. Uh, well, that's going to do it for us, folks. Don't forget to sign up for Historic Fest before May 1st to be entered into the drawing for um, the passes to the World War One Museum. Recently, we announced that... Uh, C3I is a sponsor for the convention. They sent us a box copy of Mark Herman's Gettysburg. And then we also have some of their most recent publications to give out as prizes. And we're still not done with sponsors yet. I have more to announce. We're working on some final details. Just keep lining them up. Yeah, it's great. The war game community as a whole is pretty great. We've gotten a lot of great support for it. So sign up by May 1st to get those passes because the World War One Museum is phenomenal that'll do it for us as always you can find me on twitter i'm at history table pod there's an instagram account it's history table podcast we have a gmail send us your comments and questions i I love hearing from you i just got an email uh yesterday before we recorded from someone uh just shooting the shit about the show it's history table podcast at gmail.com history table podcast at gmail.com rich where can everyone find you on the internet best way to find me is on twitter i am Trippier jr because i am actually a junior (laughs) <laughs> Rich Rich posts pretty good stuff about all those games he's playing. Yeah, I like. He to, does a better job of staying up with that than yeah, I do. Yeah, I like to post pictures as the games I'm going through, especially if I'm playing on a full campaign and play, you know, post turn by turn updates. Um, I always I always enjoy seeing other people do it, so I think I'll do it too. Alrighty, all right, folks, we will be back next month, uh, probably talking about ASL and all other good stuff that happens in March. So we'll see you next time. Good night, everyone.